I guess this is the time of year where many of us are thinking about what's next or thinking about what does this year hold and wisdom, to think about wisdom at this point it, is, it works, it's right, it's appropriate that we do it wisdom is in a nutshell living life well it's different from knowledge, knowledge often comes into it but it's not just knowledge, it really isn't just knowledge um, wisdom is living life well when I say that it's different from knowledge, many of us would have maybe come across people or heard or read about people or maybe even ourselves are that uh, person who are uh, in some ways given advice or giving counsel or maybe even you are or know of a, a life coach whose life is falling apart at the seams. And they know the right things to do, they know the right advice to give, they know, they know the, the tips that will work, and often the advice itself sounds sound, but their person, their life is coming apart at the seams. Why? Because they have knowledge, but they lack wisdom. They're different things. Um, Luke 7 verse 35, Jesus says this very interesting thing. If we could just have the first slide up, please, Rach. Um, very, a very small very short little comment on wisdom that Jesus makes, but very, very insightful and very important. There it was. It was, it was quick. We're going to try and get through the sermon quick today. Uh, I think, there we go. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Wisdom is seen for what it is by what it produces. You see wisdom when you see the offspring of someone's life. Or the fruit would be another way of putting it. By, by, what is, by what comes out he said, ah, yeah, it was wise it's a very important little statement there because people can fool you with eloquence and persuasiveness and clever sounding ideas but you've got to look at the life you have to look at the life because God gives gifts graciously people often do have gifts of amazing charisma and mag- magnetism and these, and these things but that's not, that's not the life that's just they've got it it's just a, it's a grace thing but to look at someone's life, you've got to look at their relationships, primarily. Their closest relationships. You've got to look at what goes, what goes behind them. Is there a trail of confusion, destruction, pain, uh, numbness, coldness, discord behind them? Or, or, or other things. Is there reconciliation? Is there, is there community? Is there fellowship? Is there... Warmth, harmony, peace. These, these, this, is, this is the stuff of wisdom. Um, and so uh, all of us, during every day of this year, will need wisdom. I'll say that, I mean it. All of us in this room, during every day of this year, will need wisdom. There will be calls that you make. They may not be huge, but there will be calls nevertheless that are wisdom calls. Decisions that are concerning living life well. Some of us will have wisdom calls to make this year that are massive. Now, partly saying that it's just the amount of people in the room it's going to be the case, but I actually felt the Holy Spirit impress upon me in preparation. Um, for some of you, this will be a sermon to go back to. This will be one you're going to need to go back to because there's going to be some really big calls this year. Really big calls that will uh, um, impact, uh, uh, impact you for the, in terms of the direction of your life. I want to just look at, quickly, Proverbs chapter 4. Just, I'm just introducing the theme, just so you see the things the Bible says about wisdom. Hear, O sons, the Father's instruction, and be attentive. 
you may gain insight, for I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me. And he said to me, let your heart hold fast my words. Keep my commandments and live. Get wisdom, get insight. Do not forget. Do not turn away from the words of my mouth. Do not forsake her and she will keep you. Love her. She'll guard you. Big promises. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. (laughs) And whatever you get, get insight. Prize her highly. She'll exalt you. She'll honour you if you embrace her. She'll place on your head a graceful garland. She'll bestow on you a beautiful crown. Man, it's wonderful. I love that bit the best. (laughs) The beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. Now that could be seen as quite unhelpful. Particularly if you're a process person, there's like that. What? Hold on, <laughs> hold on. The beginning of wisdom is get wisdom. Give me some hows. That is the how. That is the how. The how is desire. Get it. There are promises in the scripture. If you search for it like gold, you'll get it. So getting it, that's, that is it. That's the key. That's the secret. You've got to want to be wise. You've got to want to live life well. You've got to want to be concerned for the medium long term. This is really big stuff. It's about the search. So, let us begin in the garden, as we always do, beginning creation, looking at the theme of wisdom there and what we see there. So, Genesis chapter 2, God has created all of his creations, very pleased with it, blessed it, and all of that. And then he says this in Genesis chapter 2, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So what we see is that in this moment before sin has come into the world, there is an opportunity for Adam to express wisdom. And that, what does that wisdom look like? Trusting obedience. That's the heart of godly wisdom. I'm going to hold up to you through this message two very stark, starkly different kinds of wisdom and I'm going to explain them in their most uh, basic form so you understand them. The heart of godly wisdom is trust and obedience. So understand the picture. God has said, go where you like and do what you want. In fact, fill the whole earth with, with um, children and, ref- and um, multiply my glory throughout the planet. Very permissive, lots of space, a very, very wide meadow to run in. That's the heart of God. That's what he's like. Go! It's just this one prohibition. And why, why this one prohibition? Probably an opportunity for Adam and Adam and Eve to express their trust in God, an opportunity for them to show they trust him. Just don't, t- just don't eat for that one, because in the day you do, you'll die. Um... So that's the scenario. The opportunity for wisdom is trust and obedience. It's about relationship. Genesis 3. Uh, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, 
She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Could we go on? Thank you. And then the eyes of both were opened and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. So what we have here is another promise of a different kind of wisdom and it's this. First wisdom, godly wisdom, trust and obedience. Second kind of wisdom is uh, based on an internal navigation system. It's like, well I know God has said that, but this is what I think is best. Now it's a spiritual thing, you've got God's command, you've got satanic temptation, but there's a decision moment that is made in the heart where it's like, I'm going to go for that. And there's a, I'm going for wisdom, I know best. And these are the two very starkly different kinds of wisdom the Bible talks about, and really doesn't give much, much space for manoeuvre or a third kind. There's really just two kinds in that sense. In that sense. And so uh, it does turn out that obedience would have been true wisdom in this situation here. So, um, we see that wisdom and the accumulation of knowledge are not the same thing, because they they do get some kind of knowledge through it. Suddenly they know they're naked. And actually even later God does say, uh, now they're like us, knowing good and evil. So there's something that comes, there's a knowledge that comes, but it leads to death. That's the point. The trust and obedience leads to life. The autonomy, I think I know best, leads to death. That's the heart of Bible teaching. That's what the Bible teaches again and again and again. And it's why it's such an affront to human autonomy, human independence. That it teaches if you, just, if you go your way, it's end is death. Uh, but the Lord wants to keep us from that because he loves us. Yeah, he loves us and he wants us to enjoy life in all its fullness. That's the heart of God. It's not about closing things down, it's about releasing us to enjoy. But this wisdom that he wants for us involves trust. It's about relationship with him. That is the absolute heart of it they sin they do die they do die on the day that you'll die they do die they may live for a few hundred years more but on that moment they've died because for God dying is a lot less than stopping breathing dying is about being out of kilter with him it's about no longer being in a good relationship with him and that's what happens in that moment and they're banished from that place of repose that place of rest because they've decided to go for their own their own wisdom As time goes on, God creates a nation of Israel through Abraham, and they're a very blessed nation. They're a nation that he calls his own and that he has special promises for and plans for, and he gives them the, the so wonderful wisdom literature, particularly the book of Proverbs that we've read from already, but there's other, other sources as well. And there are these, what begins to come through in this teaching is, is some very clear ideas that just really carry on from the garden, but we see, oh, it's, this is clearly still how God sees it. Proverbs 9 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. So you want, get wisdom, get insight. Well, it's the fear of the Lord and the knowledge of God. That's what it is. That's what, you, that's what you're going for if you're going for wisdom. And then, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. How's that? 
Yay! It wasn't that bad after all. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Very stark choice. <laughs> this is a really stark choice. What am I going to do? Am I going to? Am I going to? Am I going to base my actions, my decisions, how I live my life on how I see this thing? Pulling in merely from my own background, my own assessments, my own limited knowledge, or am I going to trust in what the Lord says about it? That is that is constantly what we are faced with, all of us. Um, and 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 the, the the call from God is do that one, not that one. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Now it's important that that is unpacked because unless you trust Him with all your heart, you're not trusting Him. You can't do the thing where you hedge your bets. I trust him a bit, but I'm going to go for that too. Now, to trust him with all your heart means I'm going to totally lean on what you say, Lord, about this situation and trust you that you know best. Man, that takes something to do that. Let's be real. Let's be honest with each other. That takes something to do that, particularly when you are faced with something either that you really don't want, but you really sense this is what God's saying, or something that you really do want, and you sense this God, like the tree, God's saying, no, don't do that. When you're faced with those things, it's what you do in those moments that really do shape the course of your life. And really do, really do, how can I put it, open up doors into fresh fruitfulness or tend to close things down as the Lord is like, man, we've got to take you around that one again because you're, you're really not trusting. This is how it works. And it's very, very important, very, very uh, profound that we see it. There are promises all through Proverbs that wisdom will keep you from things like disaster. Wisdom will keep you from adultery. Wisdom will keep you from unnecessary harm. There's lots of promises. I'm not saying, I'm not saying that it, there's, there's, there's this promise that if you walk with God, nothing bad's going to happen. It's not that. But there are things that happen to people unnecessarily. They pierce themselves with these pains and these regrets and these things because they just do not trust God and either jump quick out of panic or run away out of fear. Don't, very often not sitting it out. Very often not letting God work things out in his own time and that is often what it's down to thinking you know a better way or getting gripped by anxiety losing God in the picture of all kinds of hurdles and obstacles and then either just closing down and giving to self-preservation or running away and you think no don't do these things this, this, is a, this is no way to act because as you do that it always leads to pain and wisdom promises to guard you, wisdom promises to keep you from disaster, keep you from the seduction of different kinds of people. This is really big. This is what Israel were entrusted with. And God says this to them in Deuteronomy chapter 4. He says to them, See, I've taught you statutes and rules as the Lord my, which is Moses talking, as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should do them in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Keep them and do them, for that will be your wisdom. And your understanding in the sight of the people who, when they hear all these statutes, they'll say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has a God so near to it as the the Lord our God is to us whenever we call upon him? And what great nation is there that has statutes and rules so righteous as all this law that I set before you today? Only take care. And keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and your children's children. God said, I'm giving these wonderful laws that will only in, uh, f- uh, cause you to flourish and enhance your life, and keep them and teach them, and don't forget them, and it will be wisdom to you in the sights of all the nations. And Israel just turned his back completely on all of that. He said, no, we want to be like the other nations instead. We just want to be like other people. We don't want to be holy. We don't want to be different. We want to be like, we want to have a, you've got kings, we want a king. 
God's like, I'm your king. We want some little statues to worship, some things we can see with our eyes. And they just traded in the glory for the shame. And then God casts them out of their land and they go into exile and all the things that we've been looking at throughout the Old Testament. And it's a disaster. It's a disaster because they will not trust God. God makes them these wonderful promises and then they constantly question, is he really with us? Will he really do it? And then they begin, their imagination goes crazy into alarm and crazy kind of fearful fantasy will be prey, our children will be prey. And they fall into these things because they are unwilling to have, uh, be impressed with God, to have a, a view of God. But they say, God has said it and he is God and he is awesome. Therefore, I'm going to tremble at what he says and hold it in high regard. It wasn't in their hearts. Instead, they were much more impressed by what they saw going on around them. There's big people. God might have said that, but there's tall people. Utterly gripped with fear about what these tall people were going to do. When God had parted the sea and led them through it. And you you pick up God's bewilderment, the Lord's bewilderment. These are stiff-necked people. They won't get into their soul a big view of God. They won't, they, won't, they won't let themselves be amazed and be, be gripped with the greatness of God and the, and the wisdom, the unsearchable wisdom that he has. He knows best. Enter Jesus, who comes to put all things right. Now I want to just say this, particularly if you are in the room today and you, might, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, a believer, a disciple, I want to just quickly address you for a moment directly and say, whatever you do, you must not dismiss him out of hand. You can do a lot of things, but you must not dismiss Jesus out of hand. You mustn't because he is clearly, objectively, the most influential human being to have ever lived. That's just fact. He's influenced more than anyone. Therefore, you must stop and listen. Okay? So if you're here and you're thinking, okay, no, you must, you must take a look closely at this Jesus. Those of us that know and love him, I want us to look at him again. Because Jesus embodies the wisdom of God. Look at some things about him. Number one, Jesus' trust in scripture was absolute. He quotes the Bible, again, the Old Testament, again and again and again and again. And every time he's quoting it, he's creating the New Testament. That's fun, isn't it? But anyway, he's constantly, when he's in the wilderness against Satan, his defense was scripture. When he's trying to explain situations that are going on and people are mystified, he says, no, he says to fill that and he says to fulfill that and he, he brings in the Old Testament. When he's speaking on ethics and morals, he's quoting the Old Testament. He absolutely trusts scripture and he is the, the personification of wisdom. Secondly, he relies completely on the Father. I only say what I hear the Father saying. I only do what I see the Father doing. This, isn't, this is not an autonomous man. If anyone could have been, it's Jesus. But he walks in absolute, deliberate, voluntary submission to the Father. This is what wisdom looks like. He's not, he's not, he's not uh, known for his assertion. For his self-assertive ways. Oh, I'll do this. Oh, I'll just, I'm the captain of my destiny. He's submitted to the Father. That's wisdom. You see, it's very different. Very different from the world. I'm trying to, I'm trying to help you see the stark contrast between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom. They are stare at opposite ends of the pole. You've got to understand that. Otherwise you begin to try and merge things. It doesn't work. You end up with syncretism. It always is disastrous. Then there's community. If anyone would have been happy 
with the Father and the Spirit and in perfect union with them is Jesus. But he still goes for community. He still invites these ragtag people into his life who are always getting it wrong. And he shares his life with them. It's helping us to understand that it's not wisdom to be isolated. It's not wisdom to think you know best. It's not wisdom to put yourself in a separate category in case others hurt you or disappoint you or let you down or don't live up to your expectations. That's always happening with Jesus. <gasps> he's exasperated at times. But he remains connected with them. Why? Because he's wise. And he's embodying, he's showing us what wisdom looks like. And he associates with the poor. He's not at all fussed about networking and getting to know influential people so they can improve his, his chances in life. He's not interested. In fact, he, he reserves his harshest words for those in power. He's not, his life isn't about trying to get ahead, trying to climb the ladder. It's not. No, he absolutely knows that at the right time and in the right way, the Father will exalt him, and he's exalting him to the highest place. So it's worked. It's really wise. You see, this is, this is godly wisdom. This is what Jesus looks like. And in case you find it unimpressive and you think maybe it looks a little bit weak, I'll tell you some of the things Jesus said as well. Just so you know, this was not a weak man. Jesus, after teaching the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 to 7, all these incredible, wonderful things, he said this, he said, if you hear these words and you do them, you'll be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And when the storm came, the house stood. But if you do not, if you hear them and you do not do them, if you're simply happy to fill your notepad with it, or you're simply happy to just say, oh, that's nice, or I feel really blessed, but you do not do it, then you'll be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand, and when the storm came, the house collapsed. He spoke strong words. Jesus is unique among spiritual teachers for pointing to himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He doesn't point to principles, philosophies, beliefs. He points to himself. Follow me. I am the way. Absolutely strong and firm and true on this. Jesus even said that wisdom, he said that he spoke about the Queen of Sheba in the Old Testament, traveling to find the wisdom of Solomon, and now something greater than Solomon is here. He was not, he was, there was no false humility with Jesus. He knew exactly who he was, and yet he embodied wisdom in this beautiful and wonderful way. And then we get to the cross, and it looks like actually the guy got it wrong. So you get to the cross, you think actually he got it wrong. He was impressive, and he seemed to do some miracles. But look, anyone whose life ends like that, in such shame, in such humiliation, this is not the way. We don't want to follow this. If this is where it ends up, we don't want to, we don't want to end, we don't want to, we don't want to go there. That's not wisdom. But that's a human take on the cross. God's perspective on the cross is this. The Apostle Paul writes, and says, the word of the cross, that's the message of the cross, the gospel, is folly. It's folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. This is the heart of God. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. And the discernment of the discerning, I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debate of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through its own wisdom. It pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. We preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Wow. God is saying, do you know what world? 
In your wisdom, in your best efforts, you have not come to know me. And it's pathetic. And so now I'm going to choose the most foolish thing you can imagine. The cross. My son dying on a cross. And the most foolish way you could possibly think of that being communicated, preaching. And I'm going to save the world through that. I will bring out of the world a people for myself through the message of the cross preached. It's deliberate. The cross, among many other things, is God's way of looking at the wisdom of the world and saying, this is folly. It is folly. In all your clever systems and structures and ideas, this is folly and it's getting nowhere. I'm going to save through this. It's strategic on God's part. That's the way God views, God views worldly wisdom. This wisdom that is rooted in autonomy, the internal navigation system. Oh, Bible, yeah, nice. Fine. Well, I'll draw that in and that might have something to say, but at the end of the day, it's my call. Worldly wisdom leads to death. So, there we have Jesus. There we have Jesus. Suffering and dying, foolishly, by all accounts, but in such a way that leads to our forgiveness and reconciliation with God. In such a way, through his resurrection, that leads to the new creation. So we're going to end just by quickly looking at the new creation. There's so many things that could be said on the new creation. I just want to make one point, and it, it might be a tough point, but I'm try- I guess I'm trying to just hammer something home today. I'm just trying to, I guess, I feel the weight of this. I feel the weight of this. And, and I want you guys to know that I've not pulled any punches and that you get to see what, what the Bible says about this. So we're just going to look at Revelation 21, the first eight verses. And I want to make, a, make one point out of it, just to help, help you see. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, and the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Now I want to keep this up here. This last section describes those who won't be in the new creation. Okay. And there is no comment there at any point on their intellect. There's no comment about whether or not they knew enough things, whether or not they had their heads screwed on, whether or not they were... There's no comments on their success, whether or not they were successful people. No comments on whether or not they were great or small, whether they were popular or not popular, whether they were lonely people or whether they had a family all around them, whether they were comfortable in life or or not, whether they were were in war-torn countries or peaceful countries, whether they were poor or rich, there is no mention of any of those things whatsoever. These are the people who have decided that they want to live life their way. That's who they are. Spread all around the globe in every different nation, continent, city. But that's the decisions that they've made. They've made decisions. Faithless, that they won't trust in Jesus. That they'll take matters into their own hands where they've been wronged. 
that they make their own decisions on their sexual conduct. They just choose for themselves. Won't be bound by God's funny, antiquated ideas. And when it goes, they'll decide, you know, well, I'll tell a little white life, it's going to help to my advantage. What's the big deal? Well, it's a massive deal. Liars. It's a massive deal. This is a huge thing. It's those who have really said, I think I, think I can do this thing called life. I mean, but that's where it ends up. It's sobering. And all I'm doing is I'm just, I'm just letting the scriptures, I'm just unpacking I'm not saying anything, I'm not adding anything. But I'm not taking anything away either. That's what it teaches. We've got to take this thing seriously. And God knows all of us have messed up and do mess up. When it talks about these people, it's talking about those who practice this, those who say, this is my pattern of life. God knows we all need the blood of Christ on us every hour. Absolutely, of course. I'm not preaching, come on, we can do it. If none of us do. We all fall so short. It's why we need Jesus. But if, if you choose these paths, and make that your practice, you're being foolish. And you will regret it to a degree that I cannot even articulate. I want to just plead with you to take this stuff seriously. That we might enjoy the glory of the new creation together. That we might look at each other and go, <laughs> it's very different from the school hall, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, praise God, yeah. You know, you think, oh, look, where, relate, where there's no, no funny stuff. You know, even in, the, even in the people of God, the family of God, there's, you know, we, we misunderstand each other, we get things wrong, we've got to patch things up. We have to, oh, when I said that, I didn't mean it like that, there'll be none of that. Every none of that. You'll be, you'll know, and you'll be fully known. You don't spend your life trying to. Oh, I know I come across like that, but I'm not really like that. You know, none of that. You'll just, you'll be, you'll be know, you'll know and be known. Rich relationships. I mean, just all, all the bad, just, just life, physical life, but all the, all the dark stuff blotted out. It's wonderful. This is new creation. I want to urge you to absolutely go for it. I want to end with a little bit of application, then we're done. First, just say, we do have a choice as clear as the first century believers. Where is our source of wisdom? Where are you going to look? Are you going to look into a trusting relationship with God through Jesus? Or are you going to rely on your own inbuilt navigation system? Make a decision. It's really important. Really, really important. Second, I will just make a, a comment on this. It's a potential minefield, but... I'll, uh, regarding... The wisdom of the world. There are obviously observations in different fields of expertise that are good and true and right observations, different kinds of knowledge, medical knowledge, or whatever it might be. These, these, this is, these are observations that are not in the Bible because the Bible isn't a medical journal, for example, but good. Okay? So I'm not saying anyone who says any fact, and they can't give you a chapter and a verse, chuck it out, it's worldly wisdom. Okay? I'm not saying that. What I would say is this, though. You need to be discerning around the interpretation of the observations. For example, someone may observe within species there is adaptation and physical change. Uh, But then they may interpret on that, embrace the whole Darwinian thing. Now, I'm not doing that sermon on that now, but the point I'm making is there's an observation and there's an interpretation. Embrace the observation, by all means, but be discerning with the interpretation. Obviously, you can imagine, I could go on every different field at hours and hours and hours. I'm not going to do that. But I'm just saying there are are differences. There are things that are observed 
and it's under the common grace of God. God just gifts people to see and observe things. Wonderful, wonderful. But there is a very fine line between observation and interpretation. This is this, therefore, which is sometimes very blurred. And it can seem like the one thing. And all I would ask is that you try to find where the line is and exercise discernment around the interpretation. Because if it's coming out of a godless worldview, it's not going to... It won't have. It, it, it will be wonky. It will be the other tree. All of us live. You are all of us live before two trees constantly. I'm before the tree of life, trust in relationship, Christ. I'm before the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Things are. You know, I'll figure it out. And um, I urge you to go for the tree of life. Just to say, much discernment is needed. Two very short scriptures. Um, one John five nineteen. We know that we are from God. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. This is after the victory of Jesus, right? After the victory of Christ, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Okay? So his sway, his influence is still very, very real. Be sober-minded, be watchful, your adversary, your enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. You've got, we're, called to be, we're called to be sober-minded and alert. We're called to just wise up to the environment that we're in. And, and recognise what things, what things are satanically influenced and to be able to treat them in that way rather than thinking we're bigger than that. It's a kind of pride. You think you're bigger. Oh, I'm bigger than that. You're not. You're not. You need to be alert and watchful because of the ages that we're living in. And then finally, the search. With all you're getting, get wisdom. Get Jesus. That's, that's the wisdom of God. The Bible teaches the wisdom of God is in a person. It's called Jesus. And I want to just urge those of you that have never found Jesus. You don't know him. He doesn't live in your heart by his spirit. You don't know the wonder of what it is to be born again. Get Jesus, please. Get Jesus. And even if you've been around Jesus and church and it's kind of Jesus is associated with all kinds of other funny stuff. I'm not saying get the funny stuff. I'm saying get Jesus. Get Jesus. Let him be Lord of your heart. And then once you trust him, he, let him lead you into the truth and wisdom. But please get Jesus. And the wonder of it is, because of the cross, it's all been done for you. All, it, all, it, all you need to do now is just say, Jesus, I give myself to you. He will come and he will live in you by his spirit. Can anyone who's experienced that say amen? amen. Yeah? They didn't just say it because I asked them. They didn't mean it, right? Yeah? Listen, when you, Jesus said, whoever calls on my name, I will save. When you cry out to him for salvation and you mean it and you give him yourself, I tell you, he'll come. He'll come like a free gift and he will, he, will, he will take up residence in you by his spirit. It's beautiful. Please get Jesus. But then I want to also say to believers, get Jesus. Get Jesus and get him again. And I tell you, the Bible talks about the unsearchable riches of Christ. Don't think you've done that thing. I've done that, yeah. No, get Jesus. I'll finish with the final few verses from 1 Corinthians and we're done. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many powerful not many of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. Righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Everyone on the planet boasts in something. Achievements, looks, style, 
people they know. Everyone boasts how many friends they've got on Facebook, how many followers they've got on Twitter. Everyone finds these things and becomes their boast. Their stock, their family line, what, the people they know that have accomplished certain things. Everyone boasts of something. The boast for the believer is to be the Lord. I know Jesus. And that doesn't mean that we can't accomplish great things and all of that. But our boast, our glory, is to be Jesus Christ. That is what God calls us to. And I will just end by saying, when you, when you choose Jesus and you say, I'm going for the tree of life, do you know what God says? God says, well, yes, it's a narrow way. But as you trust me also, you'll find it's also a very wide meadow. There's a lot of space to run. The Bible talks about God bringing us to a spacious place. There's a lot of space. It is not, it is not supposed... Jesus said, I've come to give you life in all its fullness. The idea isn't that it just closes the thing down and all you can do is read the Bible, you know, um, and go to work, I guess, because you need some money. But you know, No, the, the life of the kingdom... It's like wherever you go, you learn, you, your mind is renewed, and you realise, oh wow, he made it all, and it's all for him, and now I'm walking with him, I, I can make sense of this thing. And by my life, I can be an aroma of him, and, and, and point to him, and I can appreciate and enjoy the wonder of creation. And for many people, when they get saved, they say things like, the, the grass was suddenly green. Yeah, because before that it was like everything, it was in comparatively like black and white. When Jesus comes in, it comes to colour. And I want you to hearts to be gripped with that. I want you to go away today with a sense in your heart, a solemn sense of, okay, pick up, there's some solemn things, I have been. Carry that. But also a sense of excitement and joy and adventure. That a life of wisdom this year could go who knows where. There is so much God has for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you that he is our wisdom. And Lord, I just want to thank you. You are committed to us. You are committed. You know, the Bible says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Lord, I thank you. You will give us wisdom. And I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be humble. Our hearts would be trusting. Lord, that we wouldn't be fretting. That we wouldn't be gnawing away, trying to figure it out. Lord, I thank you, Lord, we can plan, we can use our common sense. But Lord, ultimately, I thank you that we can trust you with our lives. And that if we humble ourselves under your mighty hand, you will raise us up at the proper time. You will bring us into the positions, into the places where you want us to be. And where we will be very, very fruitful whether they are positions of amazing prominence or if no one else ever knows about it. I thank you, Lord. It is your desire to raise us up. It is your desire to exalt us, Lord God. And we do not need out of unbelief to exalt ourselves. I thank you we can trust you and you will do it. You, I, I feel like in my spirit as I'm praying now, for some of you, there's just, you know, you need to just, you need today to stand to your feet and say, Lord, I absolutely trust you with this thing called my life. <laughs> This thing, you know, everything in our mind, where it's going to go and what it's going to look like. I trust you with it. Okay? And I want to just, for some of you, I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, if you don't stand at this point, you don't mean that. But for some of you, you I felt it's like a, it's an important moment. It's, you just want to do that freshly. And I want to just ask you to do that now, before God. This is so precious because, you know, this is so precious because God sees your heart in this. And man, Lord, I thank you. I thank you for what you see in this.
I thank you for those who have stayed seated because actually it's, it's you know, it's so, it's so clearly there already in their mind. It's like, they, in, the, in the best possible sense, they've not need to stand. I thank you for those. I thank you for others that have just felt, no, I need to freshly say, I'm going for the tree of life. I bless you, Lord, that they will be blessed in it. I, I just want to say, I feel the joy of the Lord in my heart. I'm excited for you. I thank you, Lord, at the proper time, you'll raise them up. Amen. I thank you, Lord, they don't need to fret or worry. I thank you, Lord, you've got them. You've got them in your hand. Thank you, you're sovereign over circumstances. Hallelujah, we serve the living God. You do what you please with kings and princes. You, Lord, there's no, nothing's outside of your reach. We bless you for that. I thank you, Lord, for this wonderful moment of resolve. Lord, even for those who have been hurt, those who carry pain and think, gosh, I didn't know it would be this painful following Christ. And it has been. And yet I still trust. But I thank you for your work in their heart to enable that. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I just want to ask, Lord, for your peace to come on them. I want to pray, Lord, for your presence to just so, just that sense of God drawing near saying, hey, good decision. Pray that. They'll just know that in such a fresh way. The pleasure of God, the delight of God over their, their trust. Because I thank you, Lord, that when we trust you, it, sh- it, it, it is a demonstration that you are trustworthy. And like any good parent, Lord, you love it when your kids trust you. So thank you, thank you, thank you. You are good. You. you are good. <coughs> Amen.